Okay, so my name is Matt Whiteman and I'm sitting here at the CUSO VSO 50th anniversary celebration with uh, Jennifer Mitten, Tammy Moffat, and Brenda Wisnam. Uh, and can you tell me please why you're all sitting here together? We were in Nigeria together, 1984 to 86. That's right. And Brenda, you were there until, uh, it says on the form 1990, but you were there longer, I understand. Uh, yes, I went out with CUSO in 1984, and I stayed on with CUSO until 1990, but then I just stayed on until 2000. What was that like? Um, you know, it was it was home, so I wasn't reflecting on it uh, in the same way I think if you're there for a shorter period. Mm -hmm. It's so much more intense, and you, you do think about it and, and reflect on it more, but after a certain period of time, it just was... It was home, mm -hmm. and coming back here was was visiting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what 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 were you doing, the three of you, while you were there? Um, we were teaching English. Okay. And um, working, I worked in a government teachers' college. I was um, also in. A, I was in a women's teacher college that had boys, girls, adults, everyone. And did you go through your all of your training together? Is that how you know one another, or did you just meet up while you were on the ground? Training such as it was, yeah, we, we would have we gone to We had three the... days in Ottawa. Yeah. All I remember is Gertrude Stein's quote on the display. <laughs> when you get there, there's no there there. <laughs> so that's all I remember from training. From, from Ottawa. Oh, and falling in love with a guy who went to um, Thailand, unfortunately. And that was it, never... Never did you Unrequited love. <laughs> yeah. And then well, we had a few days together in Kaduna when we arrived. Kano. 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 Sorry. In Kano before we all sort of went to our various villages. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what village life was like? Um, I was in a very small village. It was the end of the road to... Um, sort of the paved road ended at our village and then there was um, tracks that you could go um, so I felt a little isolated from other people so but um, once you got into I guess it took about a year and then you really start to know people in the village and they sort of welcome you and you become sort of part of that community so um, that was kind of interesting I am um, well I had I during my summer holiday, my, my house was totally robbed, and um, as were a lot of the dormitories. And um, so that was really interesting because there was a big court case. And um, during that court case, I had to go down and stand in a room. And um, it was the matron of the school that was ultimately responsible for stealing all the students' things. Oh, wow. <laughs> And um, I, at that time, I really felt a part of the village because the village really stood behind. I, you know, I, I thought I would be, you know, I'm a foreigner. I have so-called money, and and um, the villagers really stood behind me. And um, eventually, when this woman was found guilty, ran her out of the village. Wow. So I thought at that point, I really felt like I connected with the community. It's kind of interesting mm. experience. Mm. Yeah, and I lived on a school compound, um, and really there wasn't much, there's no there there, there wasn't really much else except a weekly market, I mean it was just a scattering of, of um, huts and buildings and 
a few motorcycle taxis going up and down. Um, so you know, and the, the world gets park. the world gets very small. I mean, we uh, you really connect with your your neighbors. Your mm -hmm. every day is uh, you know you've got to build your own little social life on the school compound. And what about you, Jennifer? Um, I was posted to a small village, but the problem was when I got there, there was no house. So um, the principal put me in a hotel. I was the only guest in this hotel. You can imagine the hotel. And, well, I guess you can't. And then it got too expensive for him, so he put me with his friend, an engineer who lived in the next town. And <clears throat> this guy, well, I mean... He um, he was laughing at me for trying to boil water, and it was obviously not very good to be living with an engineer. And um, the missionaries came and rescued me because Cuso just our Cuso field staff said, um, Jennifer, I don't I don't have time to get you a house right now. So, and I don't want to do this. And I think they just wanted to ship me home, but. Um, then I got a house in the next town, so I ended up in a big town mm -hmm. instead of a village. Okay. And um, yeah, it was fantastic. Can you maybe tell me about one of the one of the best experiences you had while you were abroad? Doesn't have to be necessarily something that has a happy ending, but something that that you really learned from, or that really had a, a long-lasting impact on you. Could we tell you about the? awful things? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to get there, but I, okay. we can start with the juicy stuff if you like. <laughs> well, in terms of best experiences, what comes to mind isn't a particular experience, but more a kind of feeling of life there. And it's a double-edged sword. And, uh, you know, I always used to say to people, every day was an adventure. You'd get up in the morning and you really had no idea what you were going to encounter that day. And so it was like a challenge. And, uh, and really, every day did present something new that that you couldn't ever have predicted. And so um, there was always that sense of excitement up until, you know, the point where the, the, the other side of the sword is, is just the, um, the kind of stress of mm -hmm. not having mm -hmm. much predictability in your life. And did that happen for all 16 years that you were I would say it did. I, Every I mean, day is an adventure, wow. Different challenges, right. different things as I moved through my time there, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would say it did. Hmm. But the sense of adventure dwindled and the sense of stress took over right. like, at right. the end. I was ready to leave when I left. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think for me, some of the best memories was um, when you had opportunities to travel. Like you said, every, every day was an adventure. It was totally unpredictable. You could wake up in the morning, there was a coup. You'd wake up or you haven't been paid for three or four months. I mean, those were always challenges. But during that time, you, you, you also, I got to travel and like to go to the, um, what was the name of the, uh, the um, safari park? Area. Oh, Yankari. No, up north. Yankari. Yeah, Yankari. And we we camped there, and it was just beautiful. And the, you know, you get to see the animals, and even that in itself is always an adventure. Or you stop at a watering hole where there's this big, beautiful waterfall, and that was just wonderful. The 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 countryside. 
I think the best part for me was hands down going to visit my friends Vicky and Anne Tadawakai. They lived about a mile away. And I'd go there with my Walkman on. Walkman. 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 Wow. It's a Walkman. Walkman. <laughs> I know. I had one, it's okay. And it was that. dire straits, that'll give you a sense of the time yeah. frame. Money for nothing. Money for nothing, get the checks. And then I'd, I'd go visit them, and they were they were huge, and they were they were solid muscle. Like, we used to compare poking each other, and they were solid muscle, but they were huge and beautiful. And um, I um, most of my time there, I was writing and sketching. And when I finished my first book, the Canada Council sent me back to get my friends to read it to make sure it was authentic. And so I went back and got to see them. And But it was three years later and it was really had gone downhill. Mm. So I, I had a lot of really, you know, like when I was at Yankari, a boy drowned and we tried to save him but he was dead and so I had a lot of those experiences but I guess I really liked being with my friends mm. but again just that experience of encountering death was something those sorts of things happened all the time and I tell you just you were living you were living more it was a kind of more intense I think a more intense yeah. existence because you're closer not, to human life yeah absolutely and life is cheap you know mm-hmm. and before I went I had well virtually nothing to write about I mean I was 20 something and I had nothing no experiences that I thought were worthwhile so mm-hmm. going there it was like everything everything was just like <sighs> and getting together with friends we had our, our um, coordinator lived in Kaduna and so when you had a weekend getaway, you would get into your, your taxis and everybody would head to like Kaduna and you'd just show up at the house. There was no way of phoning or communicating that oh, we were coming. Best. And I mean, Eva always put us up in the house and we'd sleep all over the floor and you'd be in Kaduna for the weekend and you'd go to the hotel and go to the swimming pool. And it was, it was just great to get together and those kind of weekends. Mm-hmm. We did that only on the in the east, in the desert, in the hot, no pool, no... But we did it anyway, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Brenda, you sort of, you touched on... I sense there's kind of a blurred line between tragedy and comedy, and can you... <laughs> talking about, you know, being closer to, to all of these things, and life is cheap, but, you know, that was what was exhilarating. So maybe talk about some of the the challenges a little bit and I, don't know. Well, I guess at the beginning it's like there's so much novelty that just having so many new and experiences um, and again you know I found as I was in different situations I moved from you know working in a government secondary school and I think um, you know working that the whole work experience was very challenging in some right and you met a, and you you encountered a lot of cultural differences um, so you know you're you're banging up different against different practices in the culture but you're banging up against your own beliefs you know mm-hmm. you're trying to sort out what you're thinking about all those things too and um, quite often you're you're kind of on your own so it really I, I think there's a huge journey of self-discovery mm-hmm. that happens um, but um, you know, things lose their novelty value a little bit, but as, you know, I found as I moved into different work situations and um, 
it was personally very, very challenging. Um, and I kind of had to stand up for myself in a way that probably I wouldn't have had to here, you know? Because you just, it's the shared values and, and work ethic and all kinds of other things that you just take for granted. Um, you had to kind of sort that out and decide what you were going to do about everything, you know? So. Mm -hmm. You know that work ethic, I remember uh, somewhere in the end of the first year, that critical point Tammy was talking about, when it hit me, the reason the other teachers were a little bit resentful when I left the staff room, it's because none of them went to teach after nine in the morning because it was too hot. And the classrooms were like a mile away on the sand and the teachers didn't go and I'd trek off and I'd come back and talk about, you know, the classes and it finally dawned on me that nobody else was teaching and they really, really resented it. That you know, you come along with your work ethic and, you know, they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. But some of them were friends, so we worked it out. Right. What, what other kinds, I mean, we were talking a bit, you know, before we started the recorder about some of the, the ethical issues that, that come up when you're doing this kind of work. Is that something you want to talk a little bit more about now? Um, well, I know in our school, um, things that I ran up against were sort of um, oh, I, I guess um, women's place um, with, with the girls and um, I was in a co-ed school it was a boarding school and so a lot of the um, sort of the form what do you call them the, the court, not coordinators the the mistresses? No, the, no the, for the, each form had a leader. Oh, um, yeah. The head, head, head boy, right. head boy of the school. I mean, and it was usually the boys that always, you know, got the girls. Right. Almost treated them like slaves. Right. And also the, the male um, teachers' attitudes towards women and sort of using them as slaves. And another issue that really came up in our school... <coughs> in my first year and this was sort of you know I was new and um, the woman that I was stationed with also Canadian it was her second year so she was um, sort of not so easily uh, um, shocked <laughs> she sort of um, had all those um, I don't know fighting words and um, there was um, a couple there was an, uh, somebody, one of the girls got pregnant and tried to have an abortion in one of the classrooms. And it was very messy, and there was this big thing in the, the school. And and um, so when a girl got pregnant, they always kicked her out of school. And um, we were, had this discussion with the, the um, principal, and... Um, about kicking girls out when they get pregnant and, and this whole issue, this problem that was happening in the schools and then it was like the boys getting the girls pregnant and then it was like the women really didn't have a voice or can't really say no to men at, in, in our school. I don't know if it was the same in yours. but and, and then he, the principal goes, well, how many boys do we send home for being pregnant? Yeah. And it was just like I'm sitting there going like, what? <laughs> And, I mean, like, you confronted that a lot, things like yeah. that. It just did, it didn't make sense on any level. 
Wow. And the second week I was in <clears throat> Nigeria, our field staff officer came in. We were still being oriented. And he came in laughing and he said, oh, eight prostitutes have just been stoned in Yola because it, it wasn't raining. So the emir ordained that these prostitutes be stoned so that we'll bring rain. And I was so upset and I went home and I started my first novel about that where a girl um, protested that at the school. Of course, I wish because she didn't protest, but my heroine was really brave and she protested and got expelled and all sorts of stuff. But exactly the same where I was. Um, girls expelled. Um, yeah, exactly the same. Incredible experiences. How do you how do you think all of that has changed you? Uh, I mean, you've you've been you've had a, I guess a longer longer experience uh, in Nigeria uh, than than some some other volunteers. But I mean, that kind of thing really really changes a person. How do you feel? Do you feel any different after well, that? Well, I guess I'd like to say it's different here, but it really isn't. And when I got my book published. Um, because it's set in Nigeria and from the point of view of a Nigerian, it was heavily censored by the feminists at those and those years because I was supposedly stealing the Nigerian voices for my characters. Um, and I think that that's just a backwards version of what Tammy was talking about, really. And I think we have those ceilings here for women, and they're really not that different. Double standards. Yeah, we do. Exactly. Yeah, unless you want to listen to this thing, but for sure we can wait until you finish. Do you feel different at all? I have time. Now that you're back in Canada. Um, I mean, it's hard. It's, hard it's, to, it's a long time since yeah. I've been back. So to think back, I, it, definitely you you change. Um, I think I was always sort of a voice for equality, for women's rights, and and I probably still pursue that to some degree. My students today would say that let's talk about. What do you women's do? rights, women's you power. <laughs> yeah. What do you do now? I still teach English, and I teach here at UBC. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, great. The English Language Institute. Huh. So international students. Um, so it's like traveling without traveling. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing to me. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think. There, there are certain, whether it changed me, I was older than, than these, a lot of the people who went out in the same cohort as I did were, were new graduates, and, and I wasn't. I was at least 10, 15 years past most of them. So... Um, and I had done a lot of traveling, so it was just part of, it wasn't my first uh, encounter with, with the different cultures. But, you know, the fact that I was there a long time, I know when I came back, I felt quite bereft of, um, you know, the, the richness, that this place felt black and white compared to Nigeria, you know, because the, the it, just again, that word intensity of all of the sensual things that happen, I mean, not like, going into the market where you can barely stand the smells but you know the whole range of sounds and and uh, that was one thing I remember when we first went there living in a you know in a school compound that was supposed to be so quiet 
how noisy it was at night, the insect life, the frogs, the, oh, this is new, I'm a city girl, you know. It wasn't quiet at all. And there's there's nothing quiet about Nigeria in a great sense. The, no. And the people are larger than life, you know. They're, they're, things seem quite dull here when I came back. And it was that connection that people make all the time there that I really, really missed. Mm. That, uh, you know, it didn't, you, you were greeting people all the time with a great sense of courtliness and, and uh, um, formality, you know. Um, and so you're always connecting with people. Right. Yeah. So if I can, maybe we can just hypothesize, but what, what do you think a Nigerian's experience might be if they were to come here and, and sort of do a volunteer placement in Canada? What would that be like? Well, I used to, for years when I came home, I hung out and even went out with Nigerian, Nigerian fellow here and... They seem to have a very different way of looking at things. Well, they weren't volunteers; they were university students. But they were—they just laughed at all our volunteerism. This was just like, are you nuts? Why would you do that for free? And anyway, they—they didn't have the same outlook at all, and they. They stuck together and they acted exactly the same way they would have in Nigeria. They made absolutely no effort at becoming in any way Canadian. They, they were really nice people, but they engaged in all the same things. So eventually my friends got you know, arrested for credit card scams and all the things that they were doing in Nigeria. They just continued to do here. So... That was interesting. <laughs> but that yeah. what we were doing in Nigeria is exactly the same. We were meeting yes. up with our friends, and that was yes, the exactly, for us exactly. Because we, you know, um, we need that. But I did learn one thing that really changed me. I don't know how, but it was when I was putting bubble gum in my water tank. To the the guy next door taught me to use bubble gum to to plug a hole in my water tank, and I realized that I could do anything. That given. You know, no materials. I could do anything, and I've kept that attitude that I can. I can do anything. Yeah, you resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wow. But you also, you know, when you said about these guys laughing, I miss the laughter. Oh, so much laughter, you know, and uh, so much humor in every situation, no matter how dire. Going back to that, um, you know, the life and death are very close to you all the time and, and um, not that people don't suffer of course they do you know but they find the humor in situations and they they lift themselves up yeah when you say laughter it's even um, when you go to roadblocks they had a it was a military <laughs> it was a military um, when we were there there was, was dictatorship. a dictatorship and um so when you're traveling by taxi, they, they always stop you. So if you're in a taxi, you're white, and they want to have a bright at the road the roadblocks. But they'll they'll be there and they'll be laughing, okay. waving their guns yeah. around, laughing, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, I think you can help me, mom. Laughing. And but you can <laughs> also situation joke yourself. After, you joke yourself yeah. too, as opposed to lots of other places I've been where you're not going to joke your way out. 
You know, we we um, I briefly went to Egypt for a week at <clears throat> Christmas or something, and oh, I just found the Egyptian men. They were grabbing us. They were just, I mean, not that I you know know that much about Egyptian men, but the ones we encountered on the street, I was so happy to get back to Nigerians who were so respectful and warm and friendly, and in spite of all these, you know, ideas about women. Boy, were they respectful and nice. But still want to marry you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And still want to, you know, sex you and the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When we were there, there was um, um, a national campaign called um, The War Against Indiscipline. And um, I had my little badge, that W-A-Y-Y. So um, when, it, it, for me, it was fun. It was, I mean, it. I guess it was my own entertainment. <laughs> but when you encounter roadblocks or whether it was somebody at customs and so it was always this um, stumbling block so you'd get this interrogation and it would go on for half an hour and and then it would be um, you're getting a little annoyed and then you get the finger going and go why, why, are you, a, are you not a soldier in the war against indiscipline? Are you asking me for a bribe? <laughs> and then they'd laugh, and it would be funny, and then they'd just sort of wave you through. <sighs> so you really, really learned how to, how to cope, I guess. How and, to play the game. Yeah, play the game, that's a good way yeah. to put it. Even bargaining, I mean, everything was a barter. Like You don't even buy tomatoes in the market without bartering. And so you get very skilled at it. Did, is that something that you missed when you came home? Because I've I, very much. Um, yes, very, yes and very no. Much. Sometimes, sometimes it's it, because you interact <clears throat> with the um, the vendor, mm -hmm. and so that was fun. You you kind of establish a relationship, right? But then sometimes you know you just want to go get what you want and leave. Yeah, I've had a, a Kenyan woman say to me, you know, I'm so glad to come here to Canada because the prices are fixed. Maybe they're high, but you don't you have know. to barter. You know exactly what it's going to be, and you don't have to ha haggle. Yeah, but I really liked. Um, I wanted <clears throat> to learn the language, and so I learned Hausa very well. And I just, I just loved the opportunity to talk, and they were always, oh, you know, you speak Hausa, that's wonderful, and who knows what they really thought, but it was always fun to talk in Hausa. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it, it was like a game, and you had time. And you had you time. Always there had was time nothing else in Nigeria. To do. Like, yeah. tomorrow was just another day. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter. Um, Everything was closed, or the person you wanted to come see for the forum wasn't on seat, so it could all wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not on seat. Yeah, you set up not a meeting for seat, nine. Yes. You're lucky it starts. Yeah, it should start around eleven. Well, ladies, thank you so much for sharing your story. I uh, I really appreciate you coming down here and and sort of doing a bit of a tag team today. <laughs> um, and thank you again very much for your service with uh, with QSOVSO. Yeah, thank you. Welcome.